Hi, everybody. David Knorr. I want to welcome you back to another episode of Rev Up. Uh, I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Cords. Hello, Jen. Good morning, Nor. It is good to see you, and I'm excited about the second in the series. <laughs> We're getting this uh, the series off the ground. For our audience, if you are new to what we're trying to do, this um, series is really focused on accelerating your growth. We continue to work with a lot of uh, chief revenue officers, chief marketing officers, CFOs who are leading revenue operations and really bringing maturity, bringing discipline, bringing consistency to what we believe is an enormous enabler of a company's growth and really driving efficiency, uh, driving optimization to not just what they're doing, but why they're doing it. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to watch the last episode, uh, Jen and I talked about the power and promise of RevOps. And we broke down uh, something we've developed, which is our accelerated time to close process, uh, ATC. And we kind of took uh, the audience through each of those. So I would encourage you to check that one out. And we're live each Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. And we're going to keep taking key sections of um, this space, this exciting, evolving space, and really, again, double-click, do a deeper dive. We're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, Twitter. Encourage you to jump in with your questions, comments. As we go through this, we want to make sure these are interactive. So I uh, would encourage you to uh, ask questions and jump with anything we can help answer while we're together. So, Jen, uh, why don't we start with a quick intro on your background for those that may not know as much about you? Absolutely. Um, so I'm Jen Cords. I'm based in the Pacific Northwest. I've been doing digital marketing operations for about the last 15 years. The last seven have been mainly focused on high growth startups in the SaaS industry. Um, and I absolutely love just the, the optimization and what operations can do, both from a revenue perspective, but also from a people and process perspective. And for our audience, we're talking about marketing technology, sales technology, uh, really integrating customer success. And all of that is, is really encompassed under revenue operations or RevOps. So, Jen, talk a little about the RevOps practice you're leading. What do you and your team do? Yeah, my team and I, we help businesses um, not only audit and understand what they're working with, but also make sure that it's optimized and data is flowing in ways that they can actually get intelligent insights from it. So you and I walk into, let's be honest, a lot of ugly situations where, <laughs> yes. you know, they've got a lot of different technologies in their tech stack and they're using a lot of different tools, but they're not really getting the most out of them. What do you attribute that to? A lot of times it's attributed to point solutions, trying to solve a single problem and bringing a tool in to do just that. A lot of times it also is everybody can stand up their own technology. So left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing or working with, and those tools aren't talking to each other. So you're getting versions of the truth. And, and my team and I, we come in and help you create one single version and that everybody can trust that all the data is, is driving towards. And I love a couple of new interesting opportunities that we're talking to where, watch out now, we're starting with a clean slate. They're just gotten yes. funding and new leadership and they want to do this right. That's really exciting. Talk about why. 
it's really exciting because you get to set that foundation for them. You get to set them on the right path. And from the get-go, they're going to have the insights that they need today, but also they're going to be able to grow into insights that they don't even know that they need today. And they're not going to have to come back and redo and retool a lot of that infrastructure because it's set up from the get-go correctly. So let's let's get it done right from the onset versus Absolutely. trying to go back and band-aid and fix it where it needs surgical. Okay, so last episode, as I mentioned, we talked about this accelerated time to close the ATC process. Can you quickly mention the five phases? I'm going to bring up a quick visual for our audience, but talk about kind of the idea, talk about why it's important, talk about why and how it matters. Sure. So the accelerated time to close why and how it matters is it creates your playbook and it creates a repeatable, scalable process for you. Uh, the various stages uh, are baseline audit. We need to come in and figure out what you're working with and what's connected to where and what, what's the lowest hanging fruit. After that, we work on buyer profiles, needs and behaviors. And then we look at the user journey to make sure that it makes sense and the people who are visiting the website or whatever asset we're driving them towards follow a logical progression to get them more engaged with your product or service. After that, we look at uh, improving and optimizing those processes, both from a people aspect, but also from a tooling and process aspect. And then after that, we, we look at ways to scale and just depth of coverage, blow out what you are doing, look at adding new technologies that you may not have thought of, or just, just making the tech stack as a whole more complex and giving more depth of insight. I'm going to go quickly through each phase, and I'm going to ask you the single biggest mistake you've seen people make. So in the audit, baseline audit, what's, what's something that really jumps out at you of, oh my gosh, either haven't thought about that or that part is badly missing? The data and silos is probably the biggest part that the audit will uncover. Um, and also teams not knowing what tools are available to them. That's also another big piece of that because in a startup type environment, people just stand up their tools because they need it now and they're trying to solve a problem. So that's, that's probably what I'd say is in the first, first phase and what it uncovers. For our audience, just for your edification, Jen's team has researched some 8,000 uh, marketing tech, some 250 sales tech technologies and we're going to publish some data and some really interesting pros and cons on some of those. How about stage two, buyer profiles, needs, and behaviors? What's a got you or what's a potential pitfall there? A lot of times sales and marketing aren't aligned on who they're wanting to talk to. Marketing's bringing in a lot of interest, but it's not the people that sales need to talk to, want to talk to. And so there's misalignment there. And then you get a lot of finger pointing marketing's bringing in crap leads, sales isn't closing anything. And, and so there in that phase, we try and, and get that alignment and have the conversation between the two teams. So then we're both marching in the same direction. All right. Stage three, user journey. What's a big pitfall, potential pitfall there? A lot of times, again, marketing organizations bring in a lot of interest, but then they don't do anything with it. Those names go stale in the system. There isn't a logical progression to move them deeper into the funnel and deeper with the content. So having user journeys that make sense and that progressively get a person more interested uh, is, the, is the goal of stage three. Optimizing, improving. What, ha what happens there or what's not happening there? 
a lot of times you're working with an MVP, which is a minimal viable product. Uh, version one is better than version none. And so in that phase, we're, we're looking to make additional improvements. And one of the biggest pitfalls that I see most people making is they don't have a feedback loop where they're getting real-time responses or looking at like closed lost reasons from their sales organization or from whatever team's uh, talking to the customer. Without that feedback loop, you don't know, is the marketing working? Is our targeting working? Are these profiles working? And so in that phase, we really look at the feedback that we're getting and try and understand those insights to then make tweaks. Uh, last but not least, in scaling and creating depth and reach, what, what's not happening there? A lot of times it's also, it goes back to that point solution or it's been working and we don't need to do anything else. And so wanting to optimize and grow their tech stack in a way that makes sense, that'll also give them deeper insights that they're going to need in the future. Like right now, everything's going cookie list. So you can't really use cookies as your uh, indicator of interest. And so getting intense data or predictive analytics into your stack is something that you'd need to do. And so in stage five, we look at those additional opportunities to expand and add depth to the tech stack. For our audience, we plan to go into each of these in future episodes in a lot more depth. So make sure you bring your questions and ask about a lot of the pros and cons Jen's going to talk about in each of these sections. We also want to highlight and really put front and center CMOs, chief marketing officers, VPs of RevOps that we're meeting that get this and get what we're trying to do and are doing some of this brilliantly well. So you don't see it as just our perspective or lens, but really as operators who really bring in this front and center. So let's in this episode, Jen, we're talking about the Fab Five. And, and for our audience, if you haven't heard that, it was an old Michigan basketball team and they were brilliant. And there were five players and on a basketball court, they had all five covered. In this context, we're talking about CRM, email marketing, enrich, routing, and dedupe. Why do you believe these to be the most critical, number one? And where do organizations kind of fall short in building and nurturing their digital relationships holistically with these five? Absolutely. So where I see most people have pitfalls is their systems aren't necessarily talking to each other. So their CRM may contain records that their email marketing system doesn't. And they're not necessarily enriching on a regular basis. So that data may be old. A person may have moved jobs. Um, and then they're routing and deduping. Routing, that's getting the interested person to the sales rep to have the conversation that they're wanting to have. If somebody raises their hand saying, hey, I want to talk to you, that needs to get to a sales rep quickly. So routing and uh, efficient routing is really important. And then deduping, again, just because you have names in your system and you have an, a million a million name database doesn't mean those names are resonating or they're going to add value. And just having them sit there really doesn't help. But it also doesn't help when you have multiples of the same person because then you're, again, getting a fractional view of what that person's done. And you want to eliminate as many of those hiccups as possible. For our audience, Jen, Jen is way too young to have gray hair, but I'm helping her get some. Because every part of this five, the Nord group, our own house, what do they say? The painter's house needs painting. Every yeah. aspect of this, our, our own house needed to clean up. 
and she's done a valiant job in trying to connect and trying to do some of this for our own efforts. So I want to dive deeper into each of these. Let's talk about the first one, CRM. Uh, what do most organizations do well and where do they struggle? Because it's been around for a while. We know what it is. We kind of know why most people use it. Talk about CR, the CRM space for a second. Yeah, so the most commonly used CRM is Salesforce today in the business ecosystem. And what most companies do well is they make sure that sales and marketing, that is their center of everything. Uh, if you think of the tech stack kind of as a wheel, that's your center spoke or your axle. And so they do make the most valiant effort to have all data piped into Salesforce in some degree. Where I see that they struggle is a lot of times they'll be creating custom workflows or custom fields that have singular purpose and or duplication. And so it creates uh, a lot of weight in within the CRM. And so when somebody is trying to update a record, a workflow is running in the background that it, the end user doesn't know about. And then they hit save and it says, nope, you can't save this because some process is running. So having it be both user-friendly and optimized for the data is really important. And I see a lot of companies struggle with that. What do you say to, I, I, I'm, I'm dating myself, right? <laughs> you, you know, my old school selling was, you know, three by five index cards. And yeah, we kept track. But as a sales professional, last thing I want to do is be in the data entry business. How, what do you say to sales reps that say, that's not the best use of my time? And or how do I minimize the pain of having to log in and capture stuff and having my CRM kick me out every few minutes. And by the way, I, I don't want to you know, be a technologist and I certainly don't need a PhD in astrophysics to get around the CRM system. How do you simplify that to make it as usable as possible? Because you and I know if it doesn't get adoption, it's not going to go anywhere. Right. So for end users, it's, it is about having a conversation with them of what information is most important to you at what points in the journey. So then you create, again, in Salesforce, you can create page layouts that show just that information for that person's role. So if it's a salesperson, they can see different fields than maybe your customer success person could. And then a manager of either team could see a, a deeper view. So having that conversation and aligning how the data is presented to that person in that team is really important. The other piece of it is, in my mind, data integrity is everybody's job because a lot of times there's more sales reps and end users than there are operations team people. And so if the ops team is the only team responsible for data cleanliness, it's going to take a really long time. So if you see something wrong, just fix it. But the other part of that is how to make it as easy as possible you want to integrate your systems. So like your call recording, your email marketing, you want to integrate all those. So it just automatically pushes that activity. So the sales rep doesn't have to go and do a lot of manual data entry. To build on that for our client, for our audience, I've often, uh, you know, really coached clients. Um, garbage in garbage stays. Number one, number two, uh, really make it, you've got to enable. You've got to empower the sales force to understand what's in it for them and to really understand, as Jen alluded to, this is, this is a tool to further help optimize the best use of your time, your efforts, your resources. 
within an ecosystem, within a marketing, sales, and customer success ecosystem. There's nothing worse for a sales professional to talk to a customer and not be aware of some issue, not be aware of some uh, problem or challenge or obstacle they had. And I often coach people, the relationship really starts after they buy. So a central place, and, and by the way, I guilty, you know, Jen and Michelle and Elaine and our team keep nudging me, nor that stuff is in your head. That doesn't help anybody. So the sooner we get it into Salesforce, the sooner we've got broad-based visibility into it, the sooner we can actually do something with it, the sooner we can act on it, the sooner we can create lookalikes from some of our best uh, customers who have the problem we're trying to solve and the work we do with them with other leaders that could likewise be uh, viable for us to, to talk about and work with. So CRM, I love that. That's the hub, right? There's all kinds of spokes coming out of it. CRM's the hub. Next, you talk about email marketing. Now, I have to ask you, I am, and I know you are as well, pestered by emails and newsletters and all kinds of stuff I didn't sign up for, I don't need, and it adds zero value. You actually still believe email marketing is viable and it works and we should double down on it. Absolutely. Email marketing is an invitation into somebody's inbox. If you think of a person and, and their interest in things kind of like a house, email marketing is like you've been invited into the foyer. Um, you don't get to go to the living room. You don't get to go to the bedroom, anything like that yet. But you've been invited in and it's a direct connection to that person everybody wanders around with phones today. And so it's in their pocket constantly, very similar to text messaging, which we'll talk in, in a different session, but you have to respect that inbox and you need to provide value with every touch point that you send to someone. So email marketing absolutely is still viable. The problem with email marketing today is that a lot of companies do it as a batch and blast that they think everything is email worthy and they're going to send it every single time. And if you're a name in their database, they're going to send you every email that they've got. That's, that's not a really great approach to email marketing. And, and again, uh, I remember a mentor and an old CEO driving this into me, remember information for people, not about them. When you capture information for people's for their benefit, it's to improve their condition. It's to elevate their success. When you remember information about people, it's for, so you could spam them. And that's the fastest way most people disengage. They, they, they don't, they unsubscribe. And if it becomes too promotional, it, it just, it doesn't work for you. By the way, just as a, as a, as a sign, a little bit of flex of our reach, there's a quick message from Zamig, a good friend in Baku. <laughs> Baku Azerbaijan is reaching out and saying hello. So it's, it's official. Our reach is not global. Um, so we have the CRM. There's the hub, the spoke. Next, we talked about email marketing. Touch them with value add. Keep in touch. Continue to, uh, I've always believed, leave them wanting more. So if you update them, if you improve their condition, they're going to look forward to getting the next one from what? you. And one thing about email marketing that I also see a lot of companies struggle with is that they don't clean up their database. They have names in the system from five, six, 10 years ago for however long the company's been around. Just because that name exists doesn't mean they're still there, still interested or want to hear from you. So doing periodic cleanups, like a spring cleaning type um, 
campaign would be really helpful for most companies. Just send an email. Hey, you're in our database and we want to make sure that you're still getting value from these emails. If you're not, here's an easy opt out. Uh, actually, the Seattle Seahawks, the football team, does a really good job at this. Every single year right before spring training, I get an email from them saying, these are the, the lists that you, we have you on. Do you want to continue getting this information? If not, here's a link to the Preference Center. Please update your preferences. Love that, right? Because I don't want to completely, you know, get rid of you. I just don't want as many or I want right. some and not others. So I love the preference. I love options. Let Give me a chance to engage you and tell you what I'm interested in and candidly what I'm not. The other thing that, Jen, you know, you and I talked about through this whole great resignation, a lot of people are leaving their jobs and if their professional email address is the only one you have and they leave and you don't have their Gmail or you don't have their personal email, there's no other way for you to stay in touch with them and for you to continue to add value. So do you also believe in, it sounds like getting updated information. Do we still have your best address or best email or is this best way? What's your preference in way you want us to stay in touch? Absolutely. Asking those questions and, and making sure that the database, the CRM, is updated and any other system that's talking to the CRM. So if it's the prospecting system or the phone system or the support system, all of those need to have the most up-to-date information. And so then that kind of leads us into Enrich, which is the next of the Fab Five. And making sure that you have clean data should also be a recurring process. Not only should your ops team do it on a weekly basis, ideally, minimum monthly. But when you're doing this spring cleaning or whenever you want to do your, your database cleanup, you really need to make sure that you're looking at your bounces and your, your unsubscribe rates and things like that to make sure that you're not getting some weird data points. And is that really what Enrich is about? Is take that that almost like a you know create as, as much of a 360-degree view of that individual and, and really enrich that information about them? It is. Enrich is both cleaning up and staying up to date, but then it also is to add additional data points that maybe sales needs or maybe customer success needs. Uh, it's about making sure that you have hierarchy. So who do, who do they report up to? Who, what does their team look like? Um, what types of technologies do they use in their tech stack and how does that marry with whatever solution you're potentially selling or what they bought. So yes, Enrich is not only the cleanliness and up-to-date, but it's also then that very robust profile of who they are. Got it. So I'm, um, again, dating myself. Uh, <laughs> routing, you talk about is next. I remember routing. I were working at a company and you know all the mail that came in got routed to your mailbox or to your desk. You're talking about different routing or, or is that the same? It is essentially the same, but in a digital format. So one of my most favorite tools, it's called Lean Data. It routes objects based off of fields that exist within Salesforce. So it sits within the Salesforce ecosystem and it allows you to leverage data and information that's already existing within your CRM. And then with if then statements with uh, just bulk statements, triggered activity type behaviors, it can then send an alert or send that record, changing ownership, all of that, to the, the appropriate person. And it can do that all in real time. Uh, it runs several thousand processes every single hour. So it 
as information changes within your database, it can keep your database both clean, but then also make sure that the, the inbound interest is getting to where it needs to go in an efficient manner. This reminds me of a comment you made earlier. I think we work with several clients who are candidly just struggling to keep up with all these different tools and functionality that's out there because it isn't anyone's kind of core job. They may start with a set of tools, but you know, again, optimizing them, enhancing them, really creating that opportunity for scale seems to be something that's just bandwidth-wise missing in many companies. Yes, it, it is. Because a lot of times, again, the ops team is smaller than every other team, and they are tasked with supporting exponentially more people than, than, than they have. So making sure that they have a focus and each person on the team owns pieces of the tech stack and you do a lot of cross training within the ops team. But then that also goes to enabling the, the end users into how to put data into this system, how to pull names in from whatever uh, enrichment solution that you're doing. So then it, it's helping each other. But your ops team really needs to have focus. It needs to have cross-training and everybody needs to own a piece. Is that also where you're big believers of roadmaps? So if we build a roadmap early on of not just what technology we have, but who has access to what, who owns what, and how they're interconnected, almost like the connective tissue. And then as we get the, the feedback loop mechanism, you come back and do iterative versions of the roadmap. Is that also where it comes in? Absolutely. The roadmap is, is your guiding star for the operations team. So it, it makes sure that everybody knows what's happening. There's documentation. So in case somebody goes on vacation or maybe they get sick, you can pick up the ball and keep going. But the roadmap then allows others visibility into the ops world at varying depths of information. So maybe there's a really high view for your C-suite just to understand this is the ecosystem that we're working with. But then you can have a, a deeper view for sales or customer success so they can understand the routing and the lead scoring and things like that. So then they, they get sort of the what's in it for them. But then for ops, it actually then tells you this is how it's connected together. And so if something breaks, then they have a way to actually dig in and find that problem quicker versus just checking every tool that's within the tech stack because that wastes a lot of time and that's a lot of cycles that they may not have to spend on that. A conversation you and I had with a with a prospective client was all around their data integrity and data hygiene. And as you mentioned, just shoving more leads in a database is never the answer. How do we make sure, you know, whether they're in different silo data structures or once we connect them, Deduping is that the fifth stage or fifth phase of this or fifth part of the Fab Five. And, and, and you talk a lot about uh, the challenges that are there. Talk about some of those challenges in data hygiene and, and what's in, you know, what's in, what does deduping entail? Yeah, so data hygiene in and of itself is just what data points matter most to both the ops team, the organization as a whole, and then what data and analytics are, are, is the executive team looking for, or the board. And so early on, which is why working with a clean slate is really exciting because then you can set that data standards right from the get-go. But a lot of the companies that I've walked into, they don't have standard fields that are locked down and required for every record. So then you have to go back and figure out Okay, well, is that maybe you have a name and a phone number over here and you have a name and an email as a different record. 
is that the same person? Is that not the same person? And so then you have to kind of figure it out. So deduping is really important in the sense that it keeps your data clean and it, it eliminates the left hand not knowing what the right hand is doing. And so maybe sales is having a conversation with David Knorr over here, but David Knorr has already purchased and it's a different record within Salesforce. And you're already talking to your customer success person, but you're getting phone calls from a salesperson that's still trying to sell you something. And it's like, it makes the company look like it doesn't know what it's doing. So deduping helps reduce that. And I often tell, I often tell executives like a family of his dysfunctional on the inside, everybody sees it. Yeah. And nothing is more embarrassing than that sales rep who calls that customer trying to sell them something. And like, dude, we, we bought a month ago. We bought three months ago. What's wrong with you guys? Right. And you're right. still trying to sell me something I already used. And I, and I, Jen, I believe every digital interaction, you have an opportunity to either enhance your credibility and your repute and the relationship, or you're going to dilute it. And it sounds like this is dedupe is one of the fastest ways to kind of look like you know what you're doing, have your act together. And when you do reach out, you're reaching out for the right reasons. Is that fair? Absolutely. Um, it's it is core to making sure that your targeting is on point, that your personas are on point. And to your point, it adds value to the end user. I mean, yes, we want to know all the information about the person, but at the end of the day, as a company, we need to provide value to them and make their work life better. And so if we can't do that, then we're doing them a disservice. So for our audience, if you joined us late, you missed another good one. We've been talking about the Fab Five, CRM, email marketing, enrich, routing, and dedupe. These are five areas we believe are most uh, critical for every organization to identify, build, nurture, digital relationships. Uh, I think one of the lessons we've learned in this pandemic over the last couple of years is if you can't, if your sales force, if your organization can't go out and engage prospects and customers alike where they are, we're going to have to embrace the digital. We're going to have to embrace hybrid relationships. I'm writing about this in the next book, Relationship Economics, extensively much more effectively, much more impactfully. So Jen, I've asked you this before, but I want to ask you again. It sounds like obviously tech companies and SaaS companies in particular really benefit from marketing technology, sales technology, uh, customer success and RevOps. You and I have several calls coming up with much more mature, much more seasoned companies that I would submit every company is a tech company, but they're in the traditional kind of non, you know, software, non SaaS world. Is this as relevant to them? Yes, it is. And I would agree with you that every company is a tech company and everybody is in tech. Uh, even like the mom with her kids, she has a phone with apps. She's in tech. She's part of that feedback loop and that user journey. So um, yes, it is for every industry, every tech, every company, because as like a brick and mortar clothing store, yes, they come in and buy something from you, but maybe they leave you their email address because they want to be on your mailing list for future deals. You need to provide value to them in any further conversation that you have. And it may also be your coffee shop. Maybe the coffee shop has events that come up and you love that coffee shop. So you want to go to these things. And so having both your, your 
in-person touches and your digital touches all streamline and in, in a way that you can track them, that then you can come back and provide value to that person is really important. So it's not just SaaS, it's everybody. This, this space also gets a lot of slack for, well, we don't, we don't really sell coffee or clothing. We're not B2C. We, we, you know, we exclusively sell to B2B buyers. These are sophisticated buyers that have very specific needs. Look at the price point of our solutions. We're talking, you know, from, you know, high six to nine to seven figure deals. Talk about as relevance of this, I think is as much, if not more relevant in the B2B world because of the complexity of the buying process and the buying cycle. Would you agree? I would agree. Just because you're a B2B, that other business is a customer. That's your end user. So just like there's internal customers for maybe an ops team and who they support, then there's your actual customers that buy something from you. If you're a B2B organization, that other organization is your customer and you need to provide value to them. And they need to see that your solution is valuable to them, is adding important insights into their workflow or making something easier for them, saving them money in other big deals. And so being able to tell that story and provide value and, and be a partner to them in their own processes is really important. We've talked a lot about direct direct marketing, direct sales, direct customer uh, success. Where do channel partners come in? How do you ensure third-party companies, whether on the marketing front end, let's say we do an event marketing and you and I go to, you know, we go to a trade show and, and we've got lists or we've got trade show folks or a channel partner, distributor, reseller sells our technology or a third-party company services it. So they have field technicians that go out. How do you integrate outsiders seamlessly into this ecosystem? I would say a lot of that comes down to your enablement and your training. So when you choose to partner with that organization, make sure that they understand what it is you as a company does. Um, and then make sure that they have ongoing training as there's new improvements. And if they hear something in the field, they have a very easy way to get that feedback back to the main company. So either you can fix it, the salesperson can follow up, customer success can follow up being, and make that call of, hey, I know so-and-so was just out there. We want to make sure everything was, was up to your satisfaction. So making sure that the data flows back and forth between your partner and you, as well as you, the customer and that partner. So you're all talking the same language and that they don't feel that you've just kind of thrown them over the fence. Like they bought from you and you've now handed them off to somebody else. That's going to give them a different experience. So you want to have that user experience be cohesive. And that comes back to continual training and enablement of that partner relationship. Uh, you and I heard a uh, deal reg in a recent meeting. Do you give channel partners access to your sales force? Are they involved in your email marketing and routing and enrichment campaigns? To a degree, yes. Within uh, So within Salesforce and many other CRMs, you can give them a limited view of prospects and people that they may need to be involved with. So yes, I give them that direct access because it helps with just the data transfer and the knowledge transfer. 
um, getting them involved in like email marketing and such. If we're doing an event that's maybe partnered together, then yes, it's, it's co-branding those types of assets because they should feel involved and integrated in a way that they too are getting the most value from the relationship with you. So I want to do business with you. I want to make sure that I'm getting the most bang for my buck. Um, do I give them direct access to my entire database? No, because those names aren't necessarily relevant to them. But if a deal comes in direct to the main company and it may align with that partner, I would bring that partner in sooner rather than later because they may be able to help close that in a more efficient manner. Can I draw a fence uh, around either an account or a geography or, uh, as you mentioned, limit what that partner can see and access and interact with based on relevance of kind of what they're chasing? So can I create some, some fencing around some of these attributes? Yeah, you can create fencing around the people and the depth of information. So maybe you only want the, the partner to see name, email address, phone number, and last contact date. Um, you can limit that. Or if you want to give them the rest of it, like how many times have we talked to this person, you could make that determination. Um, and then you can also go as deep to limit the, the visibility into opportunities. So past deals, current deals support tickets, uh, every element of the customer's journey and how they interact with you, you can create different fences for each area for the partner. Couple of questions that you may not be ready for, but you're so quick <laughs> on your feet and you're so knowledgeable that I'm gonna throw them out anyway. Okay. Give us a interesting trend in the RevOps space you've read about that really intrigues you. What have you read? What have you seen? What have you heard lately that makes you say, that's interesting? I may not know as much about it, but I'm intrigued about what's happening in that space and I want to know more. Well, a lot of technologies that are coming out or even ones that have existed in the past are adding AI and machine learning capabilities to them. And a lot of those tools are around forecasting and looking at buyer intent and based off of certain signals, then recommending this, these people fit your persona best. So I am really interested in how they're doing that because historically machine learning and AI was based off of the data that exists within your database. So to your point earlier, if you put trash in your database, the trash stays. Now your AI and machine learning tool is looking at all of that and using it in its forecasting capabilities. And so I'm interested to, to continue following it and seeing how accurate they actually can be. Because I, I have concerns that if they aren't supplementing the data that lives within a CRM with something else, the, the forecasting is going to be off. And it's, it's not going to provide the insights they think it will. For our audience, you heard it here first. Jen Cord's talking a lot about AI and ML and its ability to predict with a high degree of confidence those buying signals and those buying behaviors. And just as a personal note, some of you may know I'm originally from Iran. My grandfather taught all of us, some 42 first cousins, how to play chess. And the whole idea was begin to learn at a very young age how to anticipate and how to frame, and how to think about different scenarios. And it sounds like this is a really good opportunity for marketing, sales, customer success leaders, 
across the executive suite to really sharpen their ability to anticipate what those buyers, this isn't just a sales thing or just a product or just a marketing or just a customer success. I really want to reiterate Jen's comment that this is a every member of the company, every minute of every day, how do we really wrap around, uh, you know, our arms around who those prospective clients are once they become a customer? How do we really engage them, embrace them, and make sure we add value to their lives? I'm always fascinated by brands that call their customers members, and they really think about that journey and how the brand is a guest in that customer's journey. My life doesn't revolve around that one-night hotel stay. That hotel is a guest in my journey of all that I've got going on that week, as an example. So really understanding and delineating those two, I think, will go a long way. So, Jen, I'm excited about where we go from here. Our next episode on Rev Up is focused on your revenue operations audit. Give our audience a quick tease or a glimpse into what we're going to cover in the next episode. Yeah, so the audit is creating that foundation and understanding the the broad picture of, of what a tech stack looks like. And so it's gonna we're going to dig into kind of the questions to ask and the things to look at and a way to self-evaluate where you are and give yourself kind of a score um, and maybe identify. And from that episode, you may get ideas of what to go look for um, to improve your own lowest hanging fruits and lowest, uh, lowest common denominator to just make small tweaks in your tech stack from that, uh, that episode and the things that we talk about in the audit. If you ever watch Jen Cords at work, it is fascinating. It's a study in human anthropology, sociology. I'm kidding. And I've asked Jen, uh, it would be great for our audience to be able to see just some of the things that she does and some of the things she looks at and maybe even volunteer some of the NOR group systems for you to see the tools that we're looking at, the tools that we test, the integration that we look at, uh, in terms of really the connective tissue between these environments. So join us each Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern. Jen Cord is a partner that leads our RevOps practice. I'm David Knorr. I founded the Knorr Group, crazy to believe, 20 years ago. And uh, we'll, we'll love to have your questions, your comments, and we'll kind of continue to be live on Facebook and LinkedIn, YouTube. So hope you'll subscribe, hope you'll follow us. Hope you'll join us each week, Tuesdays at 11 Eastern. Jen, good to see you. And we'll see you at the group next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care.